Welcome to the podcast of Unity Fort Worth. In it, you'll hear this week's message and meditation. If you'd like to hear and see the complete service, you can always find it at unityfortworth.org or on the Unity Fort Worth Facebook page. Unity Fort Worth focuses on positive and practical Christianity with a willingness to explore the entire world of religion and spiritual thought. Unity Fort Worth streams live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. So, um, how do you summarize a book <laughs> like Unity in World Religions? It's basically impossible. It's just impossible to summarize a book that touches just barely on the surface on the complexity of religion and spirituality. You know, as you know, over the past few weeks, we, we kind of tried to see the different religions through the lens of unity, through the five principles, which helped to give us some structure and, and some, some path or a guideline in order to understand every religion through one point of view. But ultimately, when you look at the world map, um, <clears throat> which really shows only the major religions and puts all the smaller religions, the smaller movements into one bucket, you already see how complex it is and how diverse we are in terms of how we think and feel about religion and our spirituality. And so we must emphasize again and again, whenever we speak of anyone's religion, we only can look at it from a very broad point of view. And it's never to single out anyone who practices that religion and put them in a box. Because religion and spirituality probably shouldn't be put in a box as much as we should not put the divine or the universe or God in a box. <clears throat> now, this map I use to explain that we have two ways of looking at religion in general. One way is starting with Hinduism, which is generally considered the oldest religion, uh, because it's the oldest religion according to scripture. It's a scriptural-based religion. It's a more modern religion. But I'm using this map to actually emphasize the idea that probably by the first time a human understood that their conscious, probably religious thought or spiritual thought, already began. Because as soon as we can consciously think, we most likely ask ourselves, where do I come from? And where does this all, this whole world come from? So it's very likely that we can go tens of thousands of years back, and we did that for a little bit, maybe 100,000, maybe 200,000 years back, to understand the very core and the beginning of religion. Here our more modern religion, and I always find it funny, you know, modern, but we're starting like almost 10,000 years ago, but that's considered more modern. We touched upon all of them more or less in depth. And just like I did over the past few weeks, I want to kind of summarize some of the central themes and the central ideas that all religions have or try to have and guide us in a certain way through the five principles. 
first principle, what is God's nature? Right? Well, we had this graph, which may have been new to many of you, but it shows very clearly again that there's different ways of thinking about God. First and foremost, most prominent is theism, <clears throat> which is where God and the universe are two separate entities, generally speaking. And they interact separately. They have, in a way, independent consciousness. And then we have the other three, which go, as you can see, more into a oneness idea, that God is the same as the universe. You cannot separate it. Or God is even greater than the universe, or even a step further, that there is somehow an infinite, eternal relationship that the universe or we have with God. And then I put this slide up a couple of weeks ago when I talked about Buddhism and Hinduism to kind of classify or put the different religions along that graph. With the Abrahamic tradition, starting with Judaism, Christianity, then Islam, clearly on the theistic side, again, not for all denominations, but for most denominations, clearly a separation. God is separate from us. <clears throat> God influences the universe. We are responding accordingly. But then Hinduism, for example, on the right side, unity clearly on the right side, because we believe in that eternal relationship, nothing can happen without our doing, and so on. There's more of a oneness idea. And then Buddhism, that really, according to most uh, scriptures and most thought, the Lord Buddha never really mentioned God at all. So now we can expand on that and put all the other religions since then on the board, and you will find that you know, we add Sufism, a Baha'i, which is probably somewhere between pantheism, panentheism. In, under Hinduism, I put in parentheses Taoism. Remember when I talked about Taoism in the Tao Te Ching in, in, in the first couple of, couple of chapters, there is a description that we could say resonates really how we view God in unity, or Brahman, the Hindus look at Brahman and ultimate reality. But also, it's at the bottom there, because technically, in Taoism, God is not necessarily at the forefront. The same goes for smorgasbord, which you remember is that famous Swedish religion that I was talking about last week, <laughs> you know, created by Chef Smörebröd. And same thing, right? So when you look at smorg smorgasbord, which basically includes Wicca, Druidism, shamanism, uh, you know, all sorts of animist religions, nature-based religions and all that, many of them, not all of them again, see God and the universe as the same. But also many of them, and again, not all of them, don't define God at all. They, they see us expressing ourselves through God or goddesses, some divine-like nature, in to lift ourselves up out out of the darkness we sometimes feel. Well, why is this relevant? 
It's relevant for us to understand how we relate to God in order for us to understand all the other principles and why certain things happen in our lives. And that's actually completely independent from the religion we follow. That's the fascinating thing. You know, we may actually grow up Christian, but may have left Christianity and follow Buddhism now, but we may still take some of the Christian theistic beliefs of God being separate from us into Buddhism and then see that theology or our own belief through the lens of Buddhism. We haven't even talked about that, how we can mix certain different religions with each other to make it work for us. And that's the key point. We have to learn to make it work for us. Two terms that are often confused <clears throat> that Paul mentions in his concluding chapter is atheism and agnosticism. Atheism is defined in the Merriam-Webster as a philosophical and religious position characterized by disbelief in the existence of a god or any gods. That's the dictionary de definition. And many of us probably resonate with that. When someone says they're an atheist, we first go to the assumption that they basically say there's no god or no gods whatsoever which will be a cor correct according to the definition here. However, <clears throat> there's a, another way of looking at it. So we have theism, which is the primary theology of the Abrahamic tradition. And if we know a little bit about Greek, what we can do in the Greek language is we can use the prefix a or an and put it in front of a Greek word and then that negates that word. It turns it into not without or having no. So atheism then is a-theism. Atheism simply means not theism. So now we can actually say, well, okay, we have the dictionary decision, the definition here, but what if, and I'm putting a question mark there, what if an atheistic thought or someone who follows atheism is just atheistic to the theism that they grew up with, atheistic to the God that they have learned, a God that is separate, a God that does stuff to them, and they're atheistic, not theistic to that idea, but would be perfectly acceptable of any other theism. However, you can use the same logic of atheism and say, well, these are all theisms, so we can just be against everything. But I wanted to bring this in because it's not always clear. I like the idea of thinking that even someone who classifies themselves as atheistic, they may just be atheistic to the God they have grown up to know, but may actually be very interested in a different God that another religion, another spiritual thought can offer. Agnosticism, a philosophical and religious position characterized by uncertainty about the existence of a God or gods. That becomes more and more popular. 
even among ministers and spiritual leaders. Many that I know define themselves as agnostics, saying there's no way for me to say whether or not God exists. I do believe God exists, but it, there's no way of saying. And that is what usually is considered agnosticism. It doesn't matter whether you're an atheist, an agnostic, or you follow any of the religions, or do a mix of all religions, or don't follow any religions, or you have created your own religion or spiritual thought, it really doesn't matter. What matters is how we relate to that. How do we relate to something that is bigger than us? The question here is, do we believe in separation? Not just between God and us, but do we believe in separation between each other? Do we believe in what we often see in this world, the division, the divisiveness that we experience? Is that what we really desire? Or do we desire harmony and peace, coming together, finding an understanding, even though we may disagree with each other? So in Hinduism, the way many Hindu relate to God is through gods and goddesses. They may pray for, to them, they may have figurines, they may have pictures, and those are expressions of Brahman, which is the ultimate reality that cannot be defined. Very similar to the Catholic saints. We have different saints that we sometimes may pray to or pray with in order to accomplish something or in order to take care of something. You know, St. Francis and all the other saints who have a very specific purpose. It's another way of relating to God. It's not necessarily ideology where we de decline the one God or decline anything, but we embrace in that moment, because that's exactly what we need in that moment, one aspect of that infinite potential that's available to us. In unity, we use the 12 disciples, the 12 powers as a way of relating to God. We use one of the powers, one, two, or three powers sometimes to say, okay, I'm struggling with feeling loved. So I'm using the power of love, the Apostle John, to help me relate to loving and kind relationships. Same thing, just done in a different way. We have philosophers like Lao Tzu or Confucius. We have different indigenous religions or older religions that use symbols we have writings, we have drawings, we have religions that are relating to nature, that look at the tree a different way, at water, a waterfall in certain ways, all ways for us to relate to God, to relate to divinity. One might say, like I said, most of those religions, Confucianism, Taoism, they don't even talk about God because the focus is on what we're doing. 
But here in the second principle, we ask ourselves, how do we relate? And then we have the Maori with those wood carvings that are an expression of divinity. We have the aboriginals with paintings and uh, on canvas or in caves. We have Indian religions that are painting their beliefs on hides. All different ways of expressing. We have African religions, probably the oldest religions that exist from Africa because that's where the human, the modern human came out of. We have, again, paintings, we have carvings, we have masks that represent an aspect of what may be bigger than all of us. So once we get a sense of God's nature, if we believe in that, and how we relate to that, then it becomes important what we do with it. And here is something I learned from Reverend Kelly Isola, who has spoken here before. She said, you know, in a way, we don't really have five principles. We only have two principles, the first and the second. All the other ones are practices. And so I'm honoring her by basically saying, well, the third principle, the law of mind action, is actually our first practice. And in that practice, language matters. Because in the third principle, it's all about what we think, what we feel, and how we act. And what we think and what we feel and how we act matters and relates to how we relate to God. Whether we use a Hindu God or a Catholic saint or one of the powers or none of it at all, or we go out into nature and relate to plants and animals and relate to something bigger than us, does it not matter as much as how and what we are doing with it. So language matters. And here is a, an example how sometimes we kind of <clears throat> follow our old patterns. These are some really common expressions from the theistic, that separate, separate kind of way of thinking. God provides. God outside of ourselves is giving us stuff. Right? or that there is a divine plan, or that God is doing something to us, um, either punishing us or rewarding us. And you find in other religions and in other practices that that will translate it into the universe or nature or spirit provides. There's really no difference, isn't there? We just replace the word God but the action is still outside of ourselves. Or when we say it's meant to be, we're actually suggesting that there is a divine plan. Or when we say the universe, nature, and spirit rewarded or punished us, it's just semantics in a lot of ways. We're replacing a word that we may no longer be comfortable with something where we are more comfortable, but we're still expressing the exact same thing. That's the language of separation. The language of oneness comes from the burning bush, God's true name. I am that I am. God is seen as substance, principle, and source. 
Again, that's unity words expressing something that the Hindu call Brahman, that ultimate reality. <clears throat> the I am is always responsible and must be reliable. That is a huge difference. Once we can no longer externalize responsibility, once I can no longer tell Peter, why don't you take my spirituality over, please, Peter? You'll be in charge. So I can go home and just sit on my couch and hang out and watch TV, right? That's separation. I'm handing my responsibility of being kind and loving and, and, and um, compassionate over to someone else. But when I'm in the I am that I am, I have to ask myself, how can I be responsible and how can I be reliable? I, don't, I forgot to put up the slide, but I'm going to mention it real quick. Team. Everyone is familiar with the word, right? T-E-A-M. The Germans and the Swiss and the Austrians have a funny way of looking at team. It's an acronym, and the way we translate that acronym, and say the German version first, is Toll ein anderer macht's, which means great, someone else is doing all the work. Okay. And we used, it's a common thing that we use in Switzerland and in Germany and all that, oh, let's do some teamwork, and that means usually you have 10 people and then one person does all the work. And in a lot of ways, that's how we often treat our spirituality. And whether we externalize our responsibility to some infinite being, such as God, or we believe someone else needs to do that, it doesn't matter we must learn to step into our own power and take on that responsibility. And finally, something that's sometimes very hard to grasp in the beginning is the expression and the affirmation that we use God to create. We use source, infinite potential, to create in this world. Different way of being. Now, there's no right or wrong here. There's no way of saying that because you think a certain way or believe a certain way, then that's the wrong way for you to do this. And you must do it differently. However, when your life doesn't work right sometimes, or when you're struggling, or where there's a challenge, or an argument, or something that doesn't work for you, you can always go back and ask, am I giving up responsibility, or am I taking it on? And that alone, that shift in understanding that can already help. And once we get to that point, understanding how we think, how we feel, and how we act, then we can start using the tools effectively Fourth principle, second practice. And we have lots of them. We have prayer, we have meditation, the Sufi dance. Have you ever seen Sufi dance? It's absolutely incredible. I, 
I was, I was um, part of, of a, an introduction to Sufism, and I, I started swirling around, and believe me, I got some, um, <clears throat> what do you call it, momentum going, you know, once my body starts moving, I start moving, but you really get some, some stuff going there with dancing. You have altars, right, where you, and it can be a simple altar with a picture of Jesus Christ or the Buddha or something or a symbol, Ganesha or Hanuman or any of the gods or a complex altar. We can have those candles with Catholic saints. We can have rituals with candles and do symbols on the floor or in any ways. We can even go out in nature, use rocks, create symbols, and then we can just simply go into nature or look at the massiveness of the universe just as a tool to practice. To practice what we know God to be, how we relate to God, and how we can better our lives. But the best tool ever, what do you think that is? The best tool ever. Almost, that's the next slide, but <clears throat> the best tool ever is community. That's by far the best tool because communities help us to see where we're different. different. They help us to actually show us where we are still healing. They help us have opportunities to create harmony Something like what we're doing every Sunday, something simple as writing down our gratitudes and putting it in the cylinder, that's community. The power of community to change the world. Best tool ever, there's nothing that comes even close, and we should always, always, always appreciate each other, even if for the moment we just can't stand each other, right? It happens. And it happens more so in churches than anywhere else. Not surprisingly, because why? We're here to learn and to grow and to better ourselves. So naturally, our desire to grow shows up in all of us. Our flaws, our limitations, our challenges, we see them in others. And of course, we get triggered. And that's why community is so important. And finally, take action. Unity's fifth principle, third practice. And there's really not much I have to say at this point. I think by understanding the first four, we pretty much already know what we need to do. And now we just need to put feet to our prayers, feet to what we say we want to do, and actually do it. So that is the conclusion of our journey throughout the world religions. And I like this picture, which represents pretty much our recent or our current state of how we have diversity. But if we understood how close we actually are to each other, wouldn't it be lovely if we all would see each other as one, regardless of what religion or spiritual path we practice. And that is my 
uh, my dream for all of us to get, including myself. So thank you for joining me on this journey of getting through the book and uh, reading the complexity of what we deal with and you know, dealing with all the slides that I've thrown at you for the past seven weeks. And they're all on the sermon notes, so if you missed anything, you can always grab them from there. And now we have well-deserved some moments in meditation. So allow the sound of music to carry you deeper. And as you do so, allow yourself to fall into the depth of who and what you are. Find a moment of peace and gratitude Enjoy. You may use your breath to slow yourself down. Soak in the love that is available to us right now. Exhale all the doubts, the limitations, and surrender them back into the abyss of oneness, source, to breathe back in lightness, colorfulness, kindness. Every moment is an opportunity to walk our path. And we should be proud to walk that path. We should be proud to choose for every moment how we want to live, how we want to be, and how we want to relate to each other. We allow spirit from within to become perfectly one with the human side that we are. We allow our desires to come forward and resonate 
with the light that we already are, the light that we shine, and the path that we follow. So we're allowing ourselves to see us in a greater light, tear down the illusion of Maya and see Brahman, the ultimate reality, see God, see the universe, see nature, spirit clearly, taking off the blinds, washing away everything that is in the way of knowing. As we give ourselves an opportunity to heal and to become whole once again, we can bring to mind anyone that comes to mind right now and give them the same opportunity. Whoever needs healing will be healed. Whoever is suffering will no longer suffer. Whoever is not feeling loved will only feel love. Whoever is imbalanced will find peace. Whoever is hurt will find relief. Whoever is alone will find once again companionship. That is the power we have for ourselves and others. So let us close into this meditation and move in that sense of gratitude Allow our hearts to open and be grateful for what we have and who and what we are. Allow that gratitude to become the foundation. Allow the spirit to unfold freely. And whatever path we follow, Whatever God or non-God we choose, whatever teachings we may resonate, we all deserve to be one. We all deserve to be united. And for that, we give thanks. And so it is. Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to unityfortworth.org.